All right, here we go. What is up, my powerful person? Welcome to the Be Powerful Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Powell. I have my first guest on here today. This is a super good friend of mine, a brother, a mentor. Uh, he's been a coach to me. He's a huge um, influence in my life and has impacted me tremendously. And I wanted to bring him on here as my first guest so that you guys could experience uh, what this man is all about. So Justin Lovato, welcome, my friend. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Things are good. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Thank yeah. you for such a kind uh, introduction. Absolutely. Um, are you excited about your podcast? I'm very excited. Yes, nice. definitely. Are you nervous at all? Yeah, of course. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. part of it, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. I still I still get the, the nerves here and there um, with all my podcasts as well. So mm -hmm. totally, totally normal, especially like the first few. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's just going to take some time to find my voice and figure out kind of what um, types of questions I want to be asking people and kind of figure out the direction of the podcast. But I know it's going to be different with everybody too, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everybody sure. has a different story and everybody is different, you know? Well, thanks um, for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just, um, I'm obviously very fascinated by you. I have been, um, ever since I met you, I just feel like you are a very, um, admirable human being and I look up to you and I want to know more about you, you know, All right. I, I definitely, I know some things, but, um, yeah, it's just cool to just cool to, to learn more. So I'm just going to ask you, you know, some questions and we'll kind of see where it goes. Love it. Yeah. Let's get deep. Sweet. Let's do it. All right. So the first one, um, I'm just curious kind of what your upbringing was like, like what your childhood was like, what your relationship with your parents was like, um, and kind of like what your internal dialogue was as you were, you know, growing, growing up. Yeah. I guess we could say like maybe um, in your early teens, you know? Mm. Well, you know, I think a big part of my my uh, my experience as a kid um, was probably similar to many other people's. You know, I think a lot of parents, most parents raising kids back in the '80s and '90s, um, were always just trying their best. And um, you know, there's a lot of lack of awareness, I would definitely say, but um, definitely people trying their best. And that was, I feel, um, the category of my parents fell in. You know, my mom. She came from hard times, some, some powerful hard times. And she unfortunately was always in a, a state of fight or flight, I feel. Um, really didn't ever have a really safe space, really never safe men in her life, um, going through her, her, her own personal experiences. Uh, and my, I didn't know my real dad. He, he left when I was probably around like two or three. So I don't have a relationship with my real dad. I don't really know him as a person. I think I've met him. Ugh, maybe two or three times in my own personal lifetime. Uh, so I don't know him on any particular level. 
Um, so I had a stepfather from the age of, I would say, like three on, uh, I believe, right around that area. And, um, you know, hardworking dude, um, but also very troubled in his own way. You know, he didn't know how to express uh, his frustration properly. He was very reactive. So I grew up in what most would consider an abusive household. Uh, you know, I was physically um, abused often, um, just, you know, for, for mostly based off of like athletic performance reasons. You know, I was, uh, I was trained to be a top athlete. I was playing sports year round uh, as a child in, in many different leagues. Um, practicing each and every day uh, within my home. My stepfather was a professional athlete himself, a very good one. Um, and it was a unique type of uh, upbringing, I would say, because even though I was physically hit uh, in my household based off of athletic performance, I was also simultaneously praised beyond belief. Um, he, he praised me um, profoundly as one of the best athletes around, um, talk me up to each, to all of his friends, uh, would always be uh, the loudest fan in the arena or room. So it was a very interesting, um, dynamic, I would say, you know, the fact that, you know, I was physically abused, but also praised profoundly at the same time, um, is a unique experience. I, uh, I also must say that I responded well, um, to this type of upbringing. I excelled well in sports. Um, and I would definitely say, um, I didn't really necessarily carry the abuse with me. Um, as I went through my childhood and into my adult, I was able at a young age to really understand. And I know this is very, very rare. Uh, I was able to understand that, you know, whenever the abuse took place, uh, it necessarily wasn't about me. Um, it was more so uh, whatever he was personally working through. So I was able to have a lot of empathy for him, a lot of understanding um, during those moments. And I think a big part of that allowed me um, to not really carry that type of weight or create any uh, unworthiness stories. And I think that, it, like I said, the dynamic of being praised really also helped in that space as well. Definitely. Yeah, I was curious kind of how the whole um you say that you were able to kind of understand that it was some internal stuff going on with him how do you like how do you how how are you able to make that um like how are you able to not think that he was like mm -hmm. like so i guess for me I had a similar situation with my dad and I didn't understand that he was just doing his best and that mm -hmm. he had some, you know, issues that he was obviously fighting with internally and stuff. And he was projecting onto me and I, I guess being more, you know, sensitive and stuff. I just, I identified with everything that he, uh, how he was treating me basically. And so I'm, cause I'm wondering how did you not identify with all that? It wasn't conscious. It was very much unconscious. It's just the way I think I operate. Um, I also think 
I think a big part of it, you know, now looking back is the fact that he also simultaneously praised me. I think that plays a big role, but it's also my um, unique level of presence, but it wasn't like I was choosing to be present or had the awareness to be present. Um, it was definitely something that just carried with me and still does to this day. I carry a very high level of presence that allows me to not really um, identify or take on my experiences and carry them with me. I'm really good about just simply experiencing my experiences, whether they're good or bad. And so as a child, you know, when, I, when those moments came where I was um, being disciplined and in all those ways, uh, I, as soon as I was done being disciplined, I was in the next present moment. I wasn't um, coming up with a narrative or story about uh, why I was being abused. I did have, I remember, you know, I can remember looking back right now, I did have the feeling of empathy though for him and the feeling that, that I understood that it was him that was suffering. Um, and I had that conversation with myself, but it wasn't like I was aware of this conversation and this is the why I was able to not take it on. It was, it was very much just my thought process on that. And I think that is also a big contributor to why I didn't take it on because I think, you know, that's where that story comes from. A lot of times when we are getting abused as children or neglected as children by our parents, by our peers, by our community, um, the first thing is, it's like, you know, I'm not enough, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable. And that narrative becomes really powerful. And uh, I mean, that's what most of my clients struggle with is the thought of one unworthiness, thought of I'm not enough. And, um, I think it's a combination of being praised in profound ways. You know, my stepfather definitely loved me. Um, I felt love from him. Uh, and it, it was interesting. It's like, I didn't feel like when I did get physically beat, it didn't feel like he hated me. It felt like he was confused. It felt like he wasn't sure. It felt like he felt bad. You know, it was very interesting. And I was able to feel all those things uh, even as a child, but I mean, it's not like I had deep thought on these things. It was just like I felt these things. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that really allowed me to essentially not take or create the story or take on his energy per se. And um, it allowed me to kind of go through life uh, in a really, really beautiful way and in all spaces, you know, like not just through my childhood when I was dealing with an abusive father, but like all things. Um, if I was rejected or, you know, if there was a bad breakup or I was able to really kind of um, let things go and, and not become attached to them, not identify with them in lots of ways. And it has allowed me to really operate in such a present space um, throughout my life and really fully experience things throughout my life in a profound way. That's awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I admired about you when I first met you is just how present you are. And for me, I feel like I'm just starting to understand what presence is and just starting to become present because of a lot of, you know, the work that I've been doing with sobriety and breath work and, you know, meditation and catching myself, you know, all the things that that were you know, kind of working on together that you're holding me accountable on with, you know, just um, catching myself when I'm thinking negatively or having those, you know, self-defeating thoughts. And um, 
yeah, nervous behaviors and anxious, you know, things that I do and stuff. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm really starting to work through that mm. and it's beautiful because I feel like one of the things that really held me back as a kid is I didn't have any presence. I've always had a hard time concentrating, being present. Like it feels like I'm just kind of confused and, and just not there because I'm so deep in my head and that's caused me, you know, to identify really deeply with um things that people say to me or um yeah just like growing up like with um getting bullied in school and just being like different being sensitive and maybe a little bit like slower and just kind of not there um that really affected me a lot yeah you know, no, that's, that's most people, you know, I think the way the system is structured, uh, really it comes down to what can keep your attention as children. And that's what kind of like we kind of float to. And so if we're not able to be hyper-focused on this, these types of curriculum in high school and like the way that they're teaching, um, we're labeled as bad or not doing good enough in school when it's more so the system, you know, not many, not many children are actually, uh, engaged in a lot of this work because they love the work they're also coming from a place of i hope to do well to be enough i hope to do well to be lovable and they're getting good grades to be praised by parents and peers and staff and community and uh, i mean there even people that have done well in school and do well in school they all suffer most suffer from the same unworthiness mentality because this the reason why they were trying to get good grades was to be enough was to be worthy I mean, it's in the school curriculum, pass or fail, it's right in there. And you know, you're a failure if you're not getting a good grade. So therefore you're not getting the allowance that your parents would have given you. You're not getting the gold star. You're not getting praised by, you know, your peers and, and uh, the teachers and whatnot. And if you're, uh, if you're not doing well in school, they give you literally an F with a failure and you get punished when you get home, you get grounded. Um, you're labeled as, you know, you know, not capable and whatnot. Um, so it's a very unique system that I think is incredibly flawed, um, that really can, uh, really put a lot of people, um, in a state that just truly doesn't serve them and prolongs a lot of this unworthy type of, uh, mindset, if you will, you know, and that's probably where you were, you know, that's where the base has come from, but it's, it's also where, what, what has been carrying, you know, continuously through your life. It's having that same narrative, that same story. And that ties into, you know, the jobs that we get, to the bodies that we have, to the relationships. Uh, it, it just consistently carries into all these other aspects, uh, this judgment, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of people, um, a lot of parents, whether they're quote-unquote good parents or bad parents, raise their children to be socially acceptable. And so they're always either uh, punishing or rewarding children their children based off of their performance and the way they do that is based off of what society thinks is like success or appropriate or great um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true or right or you know truth so it's very interesting you know when our parents you know are punishing us you know based off of that type of system we interpret it so differently every time we're getting punished we don't really understand why we're getting punished we're just understanding that the people who we're supposed to be most safe with are upset with us and 
um, you know, we're not doing enough and we're seeing a side to them. We're not seeing love. We're seeing frustration. We're seeing judgment. Um, and, and that is a, that's a powerful thing for a child to try to understand. And, and most of us can't. And so we, we take on this story as like, oh, I'm, I'm causing trouble. I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. And um, this kind of carries on, like I said, through um, the schools and also through dogmatic religions, you know, heaven mm-hmm. or hell type of situation. So it's, it's in collectively this consistent judgment. And um, it's unfortunate because many people suffer from, from this type of upbringing, this consistent judgment on upbringing and uh, create these stories of unworthiness. And it, it really takes them into their lives. It keeps them small, keeps them limited. Um, it keeps them from being their best selves. And that's, that's the biggest part is understanding that this is just a story, that it is just a program, that it isn't true. And learning how to reprogram the mind, learning how to recondition the mind is a big part of, um, I think, what most people are going through right now. And, and they're being able to, and they're able to reach these new ways of seeing things uh, through uh, meditation and breath work and conscious consumerism. Yeah. Wow. That definitely all like really resonates with me. Um, Yeah. How would you like, how would you like, what would you tell to someone who, who just thinks that everything like that they fail at everything or they're just not, they, they're just different and, and they're, not as good as other people around them because they're just different. They're not made the same that God didn't, you know, well, you know, that's the narrative. That's the story that was created while they were getting punished or abused or neglected or judged as a kid. So it's important to let them know that that's not true. It's just a story. It's just a conditioned program that's within the brain. And that's why the biggest thing to really comprehend and understand on a profound level is that you have a mind, but you are not the mind. You have thoughts, but you aren't the thoughts. So the mind is, you can look at it as a supercomputer and it can be programmed. And so it could be programmed as when you were a kid and it can interpret the world through, you know, a certain way. And from that, take on a certain identity, take on um, certain beliefs and limitations and conditioning. And that's what most people are actually struggling with a brain that has, has become identified with all of its experiences, creates stories and narratives from these experiences, ones of unworthiness, ones of I'm not enough. And so if you identify with your mind and it's conditioning, you identify with all of these stories and you believe in all these stories when they're not true, they're just stories, they're just programs. And so a big part of what I teach is, Again, you have a mind, but you aren't the mind. And that's the hardest part is no longer identifying with these intrusive thoughts. And once you no longer identify with these intrusive thoughts, you have a better chance of not getting pulled deep into these thought movies of I'm not enoughness. And then you get really good at seeing the thoughts and like letting them go as opposed to getting pulled in. And then through really wonderful work like breath work and meditation and other conscious modalities, you can then reprogram the mind to teach it that it's just... Um, it's, it's always been enough. And these are just stories and you can teach your person, your mind, your sentient being, how to accept things and forgive things and let things go and operate from a, a higher state of consciousness through all this work as well. 
And, and that's really beautiful. And I think that's what a lot of people are learning right now is, you know, again, they, they have a mind, but they're not the mind and learning how to reprogram the mind through loving awareness, through stillness. And so that's, that's, I think is like, you know, I think it's a normal step, you know, coming to uh, this awareness and it just takes time. It's reprogramming the brain takes time and it takes consistent effort and diligence and discipline and clean eating and meditation. And, um, you know, everybody's journey is going to be different too. So, yeah, you know, I, I was able to, I remember like, so I have a, a high level of presence, but I also lacked awareness for a very long time. You could be hyper, hyper aware. I mean, hyper, hyper present, but also lack awareness because you become so myopic on whatever it is that you're focusing on. And so that's, that, that's still very much me to this day, but um, I started really questioning, you know, what allowed me to kind of go through life simply experiencing my experiences as, as opposed to identifying with them and taking them on and creating stories around them. And it was my level of presence. So that's how I kind of got into this work is like, I noticed that most people don't live in a level of presence. They either live in the past or the future. They live in their stories um, or they're simply distracted. Most people aren't living in the present moment. And when you live in a present moment, you are operating from a more conscious self um, as opposed from the mind, because the mind is heavily distorted due to its experiences. Mm. And so I realized if I can teach people stillness or presence, they can start looking through a more conscious lens, so to speak, a more loving lens, which will allow them to see their life, their experiences, their past experiences through a much different space. They'll see it through love. They'll see it through empathy. They'll see it through forgiveness. They'll see it through acceptance as opposed to all the other things. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely speak from experience on that one. Like for so long, I... I identified way like one of the, so, you know, for the listeners and stuff, some of you know a little bit of my past. Um, some don't, but I have a past of self-sabotage and a lot of unconscious um, coping mechanisms and, and maybe, you know, unhealthy behaviors, addiction, um, that type of thing. And, for so long, I identified so strongly with the fact that, you know, I've always gotten in trouble or I've always failed or I've always relapsed or I've always, you know, just been this quote unquote, you know, I don't know, like just this person that makes mistakes all the time and fails and everything. And, and, and I identified with that so much. And then being in recovery and, you know, learning about addiction and being told that I'm an addict and that I'm, I'm just this way because I have ADD, I have, you know, I'm, I'm prone to depression and anxiety and all these different things that, you know, the narrative that they, they told me growing up, it was like my, my dad had me tested for ADHD at 13 years old and I got put on Ritalin and, you know, that was something that led me to using meth later on. And basically like what's different about this last year of my life is that I've been doing all of the things that you practice on a daily basis, breath work, meditation, you know, just, being aware of my thoughts and making sure not to 
identify with them and just observing them and not identifying with them. And then being present, like being here today, not in the past, because what you've helped me learn is, is just that all we have is this present moment. All we have is right now and the past and the future no longer exists. So who do I want to be today? Who am I today? What can I control today? Like how, you know, how do I start talking better to myself? How do I start, you know, being more aware and present and, and not identifying with my past anymore, not talking about it, not, not, you know, introducing myself as Brian, the recovering heroin addict or something like mm. that. Um, that's been huge for me. And I'm seeing in my life today that my whole reality is transforming because I've been getting into presence every, like trying to be present with everything I do. Mm. Um, and so for the listeners, like I would ask you, like, what would you, what would you say your definition of presence is, or like, what does presence mean to you? Yeah, I, I think, well, I think there's, I think there's something to really say about how most people just in everyday life, it's not just um, a few people, it's, 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 it's a very, very high percentage of most people that um, aren't even aware of what presence is. We're, we're always on the go. We wake up and the first thing we do is we grab our phone and most of us are distracted by our phone while we're having our coffee, eating our food, having conversations. Um, you know, most people, when they even watch a television show or movie now, they're, they're going back and forth between the movie and their phone. And um, yeah, it's just also just almost like a lost art. There is so much stimulation all around us and we're giving these devices at a very young age and the brain becomes highly addicted to a lot of these um, stimulations and the, the quick dopamine hit um, and, and, and the dopamine hit that we're getting like comes up and drops down very quickly. So then the brain again is looking for more dopamine. And that's what makes this so difficult is, is again, is that, you know, if, if you identify with your mind uh, and the mind's highly addicted to stimulation, simulated stimulation and these quick dopamine hits every seven to 10 seconds. Um, that's what you'll be kind of searching for all day long, whether it be through food, through porn, through drugs, through this phones, the TV, people, places, things. And um, most people are kind of bouncing off one thing to the next. And when they're not, they feel really restless and they don't feel good because I think most people are honestly feeling withdrawal from not getting the drug, so to speak, and the drug comes in many forms. The dopamine comes in many forms, and dopamine's not necessarily bad, but when we're abusing it, like everybody does, and we're not aware of, of how much we're taking in, and most of us need just a dopamine detox, and we would feel tremendously better, and that's a tough thing to do. That's why whenever anybody puts on an advice and just sits still, they feel very restless, and what happens next usually is from that restlessness, our brain tries to understand it, and creates a story around it. And, and most of the time that story comes across, I'm not enough, or it makes us anxious about the future and the unknown. And then we kind of hang out in that, in that space within our mind. And uh, that's, that's where most people I think are, are hanging out. So yeah, it's, 
the the art of practicing presence is something that I think is going to keep getting better for a lot of people. Um, it's very still new in, in the Western culture. I mean, it's very ancient meditation and breath work. It goes back forever. But in the Western culture specifically, this is very new and we're seeing it more than ever. So I think it's just a, a process too, um, learning this and learning how to train our brain to be simply more present and not be so addicted to these quick hits that needs always stimulation. So this takes a lot of presence and not presence, but practice and discipline. Um, it's going to take dialogue with your person each and every day that just wants to get up and go on its phone or just get up and get right into its work or just get up and have its coffee. You know, that's why it's so hard for people to get their person down, so to speak, and meditate and do the breath work because it's not fast enough. It wants to hit right away. It wants to get that little ding. It wants to see the like on the Instagram. It wants to see the email right away. It's not quick enough. And, and so that level of awareness um, is a big step too. understanding like, okay, like I understand what my brain is. I understand right now what my brain is really desiring. How can I, how can I help it through this process? What can I do? um to assist it here as opposed to identifying with it and just feeding it the stuff that it doesn't really need all day long totally yeah yeah like us you know we do a lot of things that promote presence like breath work working out ice baths um you know sauna running around barefoot just connecting without phones reading you know all these different things that um yeah that we do on a regular basis in order to just stay more um yeah stay more present you know yeah um, you know it's it comes down to like you can do all these modalities too, but if you're if you're still using these even positive modalities to escape the mind as opposed to being present, I think is where a lot of people also have a tough time with. Um, you know, read the book, and if you're reading the book, be in the book, really enjoy the book, have fun with the book, as opposed to like I, I should read because you know it's better than being on my phone, which is true. But it's really about having intentions with what you do and being present while you do those things. Like when we work out, are we connecting with our body? When we breathe, are we connecting with the breath? Are we connecting with how our body feels? Can we feel the sensations? Are we paying attention um, to what it feels like when we put our feet on the grass or we become very, very one with the sun? And that's that's where the sweet spot starts to happen. And that's where we can kind of um, raise up in awareness, raise up in consciousness. So I think that's a big part is just kind of having fun uh, so to speak, with becoming more present throughout our day, um, having solid mornings where that's what it's about, beingness, and not like getting right into the grind or the hustle or into our phones or being overstimulated and also doing that at night too, like having time to simply be and connect their bodies, whether it's yoga or going for a walk or uh, spending time with loved ones and truly being there and connecting. Because that's really what the brain is searching for, but it just doesn't know any better. That's why, again, like it's really important to, you know, you have a mind, but you're not the mind so that you can start retraining your brain. Your brain's very malleable. So it's about it's about being able to step outside of the autopilot behaviors now that are that are now deeply, deeply, you know, grooved into your mind that the neurological pathway is so deeply grooved 
from these just repetitive habits. That's why a lot of people just grab their phone. They're mindlessly scrolling. It's not a decision anymore. It's an autopilot behavior. And, and being able to catch those behaviors is hard. Being able to like not grab your vape pen and smoke it is hard or mindlessly scroll is hard. So how can we give ourselves an opportunity to pause before engaging into these autopilot behaviors? And that's the practice of breath work and meditation, the practice of stillness. And the more that you practice presence, the more that you practice stillness, the better chance that you have to pause and become more aware of the behaviors that are on autopilot and that truly don't serve you. And that's most of the game. I mean, honestly, that's most of the, I think the work is the ability to pause, but you can't, you, you'll never have the ability to pause and catch the behavior or make behavioral changes if you're not practicing some form of presence, some form of modality that, that kind of like starts retraining the brain. And for me personally, breath work and meditation is the, the go-to. Yeah, big time. I can definitely attest to that and just how much my life's improved uh, from a from a daily breath work practice. And like just today I was doing breath work and I just I felt so tense when I started, right? And through deep breathing and stuff, I was just able to release all that tension and I found myself like kind of squeezing every muscle in my body and then just like releasing and like really trying to like control that tension out of my body and stuff. And after I finished my breath work, I just felt so just relieved and free and, and just relaxed, you know, at peace. Yeah. And it's, it really is as a result of like transcending out of your mind temporarily and just feeling that nothingness that we feel through meditation, you know? Mm. And yeah, I notice uh, so many people that I work out with or that um, I try to get, you know, to do breath work and do the cold plunge and things like that. They, they seem to just not have the patience, you know, they, they just, they can't. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like you can see the, the, the autopilot um, things going on and they're just kind of unaware of it. They're unaware of how restless they are. Yeah. And that most, const- people, yeah. most people are definitely unaware of how anxious they are. But they're also unaware of like what the whole process is, right? There's there's actually not a people there's not a lot of people that talk about like what is what are we actually doing in meditation? What are we actually doing during breath work? And you know what we're doing is moving lots of energy around, and and that's really important to know. So if you're a person who is filled with anxiety or you're restless or you have these intrusive thoughts, uh, it's good to understand that this is all energy and we're working with energy. And I know it sounds woo woo, but it's just what is everything is energy. So. If you have an intrusive thought, you'll notice that you will manifest a energy within your body. It, it creates like a, a feeling within your body that could feel like anxiousness or unworthiness or restlessness from just having an intrusive thought. So thoughts become things. Thoughts create vibration. And you can have a thought and it literally creates a vibration. It goes out into the universe and it goes within your body. So if you're a person that's always having intrusive thoughts, you're creating that vibration within you. And if you're not doing anything to either alchemize that or release it through something like breath work, it stores in your body. 
And so this can then create actual intrusive thoughts, the stored energy in the body, and it kind of goes back and forth. Your thoughts can create energy in your body and your energy in your body can create intrusive thoughts. Uh, and it kind of goes back and forth. And if, if we do this for years and years and years, this is where people start to become depressed and uh, have panic attacks. It just keeps building and building because people aren't given the tools to breathe it out or alchemize the energy that's in their body. And there's a resistance as you're, what you're really saying is that there's a resistance to this. There's yes, there's a lack of awareness of like what we're really doing in this space, which is moving energy around. And that's, that's cool. If we can clear that up, that would really help people. The other part is, is that there's a resistance uh, to it because when the energy comes out of the body, it feels really uncomfortable. Uh, we haven't, we haven't been taught to process and hold space for our emotions. Most of our, our life. In fact, we've been taught to feel shame or guilt around expressing ourselves in, in certain ways as children and in, in our, in our years. So there is that narrative in that story as well. Like it's not okay to express oneself. It's not okay as a man to cry. It's not okay because I've been told I've been too much. So that's also a big, big narrative too, that most people carry, but also just, again, um, it feels uncomfortable. So if it's a low vibrational, energy that's trapped in the body, so to speak, due to thoughts or due to experiences, and you haven't yet processed, when we start getting to breath work and meditation, it comes out and it comes out and it can be really uncomfortable for a lot of people and within their body. It can feel tight, it can feel blockages, it can, it can actually uh, feel like burning sensations, you can cry, you can laugh, you can scream, and it comes out in all unique ways. And this is really intense for a lot of people because uh, one, they've never actually felt these emotions and they can come up and be really powerful and if a person has never managed this type of stuff because they've always pushed it down and distracted themselves from it this can be very powerful and, and in many ways overwhelming for people if they're doing this by themselves so it's nice to have people around that can hold space for them but i think just having these conversations of what's happening can really help people i mean that's that's what i mainly teach is is exactly that like hey in, invite this be excited to let these emotions out it's okay if it's a little uncomfortable be okay with it being uncomfortable and that's a part of this too um don't be afraid of your emotions really like let things out if you need to know how to alchemize right realize what we're doing here realize the sensations that are going to be coming through from moving this energy around with your breath so i think there should be more knowledge of what is actually happening and and why it's so hard and why it's so uncomfortable when we do release especially in these beginning stages. What's cool is, is that at a certain point, you know, the body really does heal from all of its wounds and all of its stories and conditioning over a period of time. And meditation just becomes about keeping your vibration high and, and, and radiating and being a light, so to speak, and raising your awareness, uh, raising your consciousness so you can partake in this world in a loving way and lead by loving example and hold loving space and not fall into judgment. Because I, I think, you know, the healing part is, is definitely a part of this experience, but I think it's also a very small part. Yeah, that makes it, that brings up a experience I had yesterday when I was hanging out at my uh, friend Brandy's house that lives out in the woods. She lives off grid um, for the listeners. She uh, lives kind of out in the woods on a, uh, or in a in a trailer and she has like a outdoor shower and solar panels and all this cool stuff and i was you know taking a shower outside i was using the little outdoor shower and it has a little pump thing for your foot you know so you're like pumping the water and stuff 
And I was just like, I had tingles all over my body because I was naked outside, you know, mm -hmm. in the direct sunlight. Um, the waters, you know, rushing down on my body and like, it just, it just felt so insane. And I was like, I lived my whole life, like not being aware of how, like I was just breathing with the water and breathing with the sun. And I just felt, and you know, I'm standing in like dirt, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'm just like totally in all of the elements. And it was, it was such a beautiful, powerful experience because I never have felt that much like euphoria from just existing as a human with like, yeah. with the breath, the sun, the water, the, you know, presence. It was just like, it was so powerful. And that's, you know, the space that I get into with breath work and I'm super impatient. I've only, you know, the only times I've ever done like long breath work of hour or more is like, you know, in a group setting at one of your events or, you know, other people's breath work events and stuff. Like I've never really been able to do like an hour long meditation by myself because I get to like, I don't know, either I fall asleep or I just get, I'll Rest say, oh, I need to go do something else. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm wasting too much of my day or whatever, but yeah. like if I could go into those deeper meditations on a more regular basis, like set like a goal for myself, maybe once a week or something, do like an hour long meditation and really make that like part of my routine. Like I know that that would just increase my presence and, and just improve my life as a whole tremendously. If I could, if I could go there on a regular basis, because yeah, it's just, if, if you're like, if I'm not consistently meditating and, and getting still and stuff, then I just get lost in the, in the sauce, you know, mm. I just get lost in, in the, the grind of life and, lost in my head and it's like quieting the mind has been so fucking powerful for me well that's that's the sweet spot right is like being able to break free of the mental chatter so to speak mm -hmm. and, and and it's good to keep in mind like when you're in these when you're trying to do longer meditations and breath work and that voice comes through like oh i'm wasting time or oh, i'm not doing this right or oh this is dumb it's kind of nice to ask, well, who is that speaking? And because remember, you have these thoughts, but you aren't the thought. So get good at recognizing like, oh, there's a thought and this thought's telling me to get up. You know, well, why would this thought tell you to get up? And where is this thought coming from? And if you kind of investigate that a little bit, you'll probably realize it's coming from your ego self. And, and then when you can catch where it's coming from and you can look at the why even in that space, you can realize like, oh man, this ego self doesn't want me to, to, to reach these higher points, um, this higher conscious state, it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore once it does. So it's really good at talking you out of a really, a lot of great things that you should be doing for yourself, whether it be getting up earlier, taking cold showers, doing breath work and meditations. The reason why I feel a lot of people have a tough time with their mind is because they identify with it. And if you identify with your mind, you therefore also identify when the ego entity talks. So my personal perspective on the ego is 
I think very different than a lot of people's. I think the, the, you are born without an ego um, as a baby. And then most babies, most children are born in unsafe environments. And due to these unsafe environments, the human thinking mind, the brain, um, creates and manifests what we call the ego. Um, and they create this ego in, in hopes to be more protected, to feel more safe. Uh, in many ways, it does protect you, and it does can it can create safety for you. But at the same time, simultaneously, it keeps you very small and limited um, because it stops you from from doing things. It stops you from experiencing things out of those fears of getting hurt or getting or being judged or what have you. So um, the ego is an entity created from fear. Mm. So if if the mind created this entity unawaringly that's really interesting to think about. So if you identify with your mind and its thoughts and the mind doesn't know it created an entity out of fear called the ego, whenever the ego thinks or talks, the mind thinks it's it thinking. And if you identify with your mind, you therefore are identifying with all of that. And that's where like everybody gets caught in. So that's why it's so, so cool and important to, again, you have a mind, but you're not the mind. You have thoughts, but you aren't the thought. And so you get really good being like, oh, there's a thought. And then you can even see where it's coming from. Uh, a lot of times, if you just look at it, is it coming from fear? And like, oh, that's coming from my ego self, this manifested ego self. And then you can look at it and be like, hmm, I see you, ego. I'm good, though. Thank you for that thought. And you don't get pulled into the thought movie. Right. You know, and, and also your person that you call Brian and I call Justin could be programmed to have intrusive thoughts due to its repetitiveness. And so I can also be aware of like my person's thoughts, like, ooh, right now my person's having this this doubt or this thought, and I can help him manage that. And so it's kind of neat to understand like where where is these thoughts coming from? Where is these voices coming from? And you'll hear another voice, one that tells you like you should do your breath work. And you should get up early and you should get in the cold plunge and you should do that extra set. Now, whose voice is that? And if you really look at that, you'll realize that this is a loving entity. And what is this loving entity? And I like to call it your higher self. You know, and I always use this cartoon, this, this cool cartoon that everybody, not cool cartoon, but this cartoon that everybody's seen where it's the person in the middle and then the right shoulder, it's the angel and on the left shoulder, it's the devil. Mm. And the, the two um, figures are speaking in the ear of the human, of the person. And I think most people have seen this cartoon or this type of illustration. And that's what I always use because that's exactly what's going on. Every time you wake up in the morning as the person, there's like this dialogue between these three selves, the angel, the person, and the devil. Well, the angel represents the soul, the higher self, so to speak, the loving higher self. Mm -hmm. And it's being like, come on, you should get up. You should wake up. It's five o'clock. Let's go get our move on. Let's get healthy. And then the person might be, mm, I'm tired though, right? Not necessarily negative or egoic, but just like, oh, I'm tired. I really would like to just kind of sleep a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then the ego can chime in and be like, yeah, like meditation's dumb. Like it doesn't even work, right? And there's this dialogue going on between these three selves. Mm -hmm. And you can get really good as consciousness and watching these, these three dialogues go on and you can start leaning into the loving one start leaning into that one and you can start holding space for your person and motivating them to get up and do these hard things and when the ego rears its ugly head you can treat it with love and you know but not get pulled into it totally 
Do you think like the ego is kind of a, like it's a, it's a makeup of all of, like you said, you said when you're, you, your perspective is when you're born, you're born without an ego and your ego is created based on different life experiences and stuff. Um, yeah. Unsafe ones. Yeah. Cause yeah, like, you know, he was born from fear. It's just fear. That's all it's fear. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the same thing as primordial fear. It's different than primordial fear. What's primordial, primordial fear? Primordial fear oh, is, like actually like primal. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, we only used to have one fear and that was to survive. Right. Yeah. To live. Mm. And, and we weren't necessarily thinking about not living all day. That wasn't it. Like we didn't have those thoughts. It was like, that was our only fear. And so that fear wasn't a thought. It wasn't like something we thought about. It would only come up if we were in danger in that, in that moment. Mm -hmm. So the only time fear would actually rise in you as a caveman or monkey, you know, wherever we came from, um, it would only be for that moment. Right. And that fear would actually be a powerful tool to, you know, shoot up any not shoot up but produce chemicals to fight or flight or to run or to to fight back or what have you and and that was like that was a good good type of fear it kept you alive right it's a, it's a primordial fear it kept you alive it wasn't like this fear that people are suffering with nowadays nowadays it's like this this fear of being loved this fear of being enough this fear of making the rent this fear of looking good this fear of like can i have children this fear of like when am i gonna die and they're thinking about it all the time and so it's not like they're getting feared from, you know, a, a wild animal chasing them down, which would stimulate their body to do these amazing things to run really fucking fast and to get really fucking strong and fight back if they need to. So primordial fear is way different than what most people are experiencing nowadays. Most people are experiencing a completely different type of fear that just makes them sick mm -hmm. and they live in that state, whether it's unworthiness or fear of the unknown. Right. Yeah, I feel that like your your brain is trained to solve problems right it's like like you were saying it's it's always because of where it originated from the you know our primal days of fight or flight and just protection and stuff like Nowadays, we have all of these, you know, different things to worry about. Like, am I good enough? Do I have enough money to survive? Am I wasting, you know, am I using my time wisely? You know, you're just like, you're constantly, like life is so, there is so much going on, you know, in life that it's like, obviously, you're going to be thinking about all kinds of things because your mind is a problem solving mechanism. So you're always gonna be trying to solve a problem tech technically. And like, I have been misunderstood a lot of my life because I was like, why, why do I always feel like something's wrong? Why do I always feel like I have to do one more thing or like, I don't know, something's coming up for me, like being in a being in a relationship, like with my ex girlfriend, it was like, I could never just be okay. Like, it was always like, I had to 
do something to, you know, I had to do the dishes or I had to, you yeah, know, people pleasing almost write a, yeah, write a workout or I had to clean something or I had to, whatever right again that falls into that programming of needing to do x y and z to be enough or worthy of love yeah and that again is 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 that's all like trained um consciously or unconsciously by our parents and society and our peers at a very young age like it really just goes back to what i mentioned earlier where again your parents raise you to be socially acceptable and so you get punished to reward based off your performance and so like, if you're getting punished, you're going to do more not to get punished, mm -hmm. right? You're going to do all these extra things to be loved, to be praised, to be enough, to be worthy. And so say you have parents that don't know how to love. They don't know how to hold space for that in any regard. So you could be trying all you want, like, Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. And you still get no attention and you still don't get love. And it's not personal. It's just that they are asleep. They are completely unconscious but you don't know that as a kid and you take it on as like, wow, I'm a real piece of shit. Like nobody fucking loves me. Mm, like nobody yeah. loves me. And then we'll, we'll do anything to be loved. We'll do anything. We won't, we'll, we'll, we won't have boundaries. We'll let people walk all over us. We'll get, in, we'll stay in abusive relationships. We'll do things that we truly don't want to do. We'll give into peer pressure. There's so many people that want to have friends so bad that they'll, they'll do drugs with those people. They'll drink when they don't want to drink. They'll stay out late when they don't want to stay out late. Yeah. They'll stay in really abusive relationships out of fear of being alone. And, um, this is very common. So this all happens when we're kids. And it's, I, I honestly, like it's, it's the biggest one. The unworthiness is the biggest one. And then the fear, um, plus unknown or uncertainty is what most people struggle with when it comes to anxiety, you know, like the unknown and, and the unknown can be really scary um for a lot of people especially you know when we're trying to you know put food on the table or pay our rent or you know find a beautiful partner or, or be loved and accepted like a lot of people have like just anxiety about um fear of being loved am, am i loved am i lovable enough so the the thing is is like what will help with with all of this though is realizing that these are stories that they're not actually true they're programs and that's the big that's the big kicker here and the only way that you can reprogram is through powerful um meditation powerful breath work to remove the energy from these stories right from these mind stories remember it's stored so if you can if you first can train your brain to be more present um a cool thing happens essentially when you become present in the very, very present moment. This is where teachable moments happen. This is where epiphanies happen, downloads happen. And these epiphanies, these downloads, the, this information that comes through this window per se, this doorway through presence, um, gives the gives you a new powerful loving perspective on how to see maybe a, an experience that you've had or a current situation that you're in. And so if you have always had these really shitty moments or shitty experiences growing up, that's where your brain pulls from during all life's experiences. So anything that makes it feel uncomfortable pulls from that space. And so you're, you're working through a really distorted fear-based mind in that situation. And so that's not very helpful. So if you really want to see something, it's best to like create a level of presence to see it through a loving lens. Cause I feel that that presence in some way and stillness is always the same frequency as love. And so when you, when you lock into presence, you see every situation through a loving lens, through loving awareness, um, through your actual self without the distortions of the mind.
the reason, yeah, if, you're, if your mind is consistently running and you're viewing the world through your fear-based mind, that's a wild distortion. And it can create crazy stories for you and, and have you act crazy as fuck and have you do crazy things. And, and it's because the mind is filtering consciousness. And if your mind is distorted and conditioned and programmed and it's filtering consciousness, it's going to fuck it up every time. So the, if you really want to see things through your, your most conscious self, train your brain to be ridiculously present so it's not being distorted in any way. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a trip, isn't it? Well, yeah, well, that's why, like, say, say you're in a relationship or a job or what have you, and you don't know what to do. Do I quit my job? Do I get out of this relationship? I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. So you're trying to figure out what to do with your fear-based mind right then. And that's fascinating to think about. It's like, man, I'm trying to figure out if I want to be in this relationship. I'm afraid of all your, you're literally listing all your fears. And what if I can't find someone else? And what if this or what if that? It's like, well, why don't you take a moment and quiet that mind? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also why don't you breathe out all that energy that is stored in your body that your mind created from having all those thoughts. So let's clean that energy. Let's alchemize your body. Let's quiet that mind profoundly to where it's not chattering about all these things that it's afraid of. And then become so incredibly present that you see the situation through a higher frequency lens, a loving lens. And then you'll be like, oh, I see what I need to do now. And it's done with love. It's done with love. You can end a relationship out of love. You can quit a job out of love, a new profession, as opposed to leading with fear. Um, trying to solve the problem with the mind is, is really interesting, especially if the mind is heavily distorted. That's full huge. Of, yeah, if it's full of fear, it's always going to have a tough time because it's tying all the fear to it. It's all experiences and its wounds are included. It's, it's profoundly hard. Yeah, and most people are trying to operate through their whole life like that. They're trying to have discussions like that, debates like that. And it's like, oof, you know, that's that's really tough when there's a lot of distortions within the mind. That's why, again, you have a mind, but you're not the mind. And that's the biggest one. Yeah, yeah, you have thoughts, but you're not the thoughts. And mm -hmm. I always hammer that home. And so the best thing that you could do to start detaching yourself from these from these thoughts that are coming through, because for, for a while, like, you know, your thoughts just kind of come through and they can be barely gnarly at times, especially in the beginning process of this. And getting good at just like seeing a thought and watching it go or not identifying with it or not allowing it to pull you into these hypothetical fear-based mind movies is really a powerful space to be in. And it doesn't mean that it always is successful. I mean, even at, I think my stage, you know, it depends on the level of scarcity it could put you in, so to speak. You know, like if someone were to put me in like a financial scarcity and something were to happen and I have X, Y, and Z to pay for, so to speak, right? So this is a good one to use because I think a lot of people struggle with financial scarcity. So say all of a sudden I get hit with like these things that put me in a financial space. So my brain will want to um, figure out how it can fix this problem, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the problem now is, is that because I'm afraid of how I'm going to do it. If I'm unsure and I don't know, and those two combinations, they can really have me um, not think properly. My prefrontal cortex actually like literally goes offline and you start thinking with your more of your lizard brain, so to speak. And you it's more feel of a, it too. Yeah. You it's like, it's like, it. I can't even think. Yeah. And so 
That's fascinating. And then on top of that, your prefrontal cortex that doesn't have enough information or lack of information or misinformation, it's, it's trying to come out with all these things, but it's coming out with stories of worry and dread. And, and that's what it's feeding you, only creating more anxiety within you and only creating more anxiety stories. And it becomes like this cyclical loop that everybody gets caught in. And so that's what's so neat about these practices. When you get hit with like things in life, you know, like say something big comes up financially and hits you really hard. And all of a sudden you get flooded with all of these intrusive thoughts of worry, dread, unknown, fear, uncertainty. In that moment, the best thing you could do for yourself is do breath work and meditation. Put your feet on the grass, sit in the sun, and become really, really present so that you can look at the situation through a conscious lens, through a more intelligent, loving lens, as opposed to the brain that's completely offline, that's spiraling out of control. Um, it's not going to be helpful in any way. So like presence is such a powerful tool during all moments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how people will just immediately write it off as like, you know, say you're in a situation where you're really flustered and your whole, you know, you're, you're unregulated and you're, you're, you're panicking about something and in your head, you're like, well, I don't have time to go sit out in the sun and, and ground my feet or whatever. I have to panic right now, you know? And it's like, it's, it's a hard one. It's you a know, hard one. That's because the reason, the one that everyone gets caught so in, much, you know, well, the, the, the one that everyone gets caught in, including myself, um, is, is a unique behavior. So the way it works is a trigger, a behavior, and then a result. So the trigger say is you get laid off from your job. That's the trigger. It's like, Oh fuck, what am I going to do? I have, and then I have rent, I have this, right? So right then I just went right to the behavior. As you saw, the laying off was the trigger. And then right away I went, how am I going to pay rent? So that's our, I'm already in my behavior. And that behavior is called worry. It's a mental behavior. It's not even a physical behavior. It's a mental behavior. And nobody catches it because it's so fast. As soon as you get laid off from work, that's the trigger. After that is the behavior. And that behavior is worrying about how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to provide? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And your brain goes into all these ways of trying to fix this problem. But all that it's doing is worrying. It's actually not solving anything. Right. Right. And then what happens next is anxiety follows as a result. And then what happens after that? more worry and what happens after that more anxiety you get caught in a cyclical loop again yeah. and that's why like it's it's interesting to pay attention to your behaviors following your triggers and so if you can step outside like ooh, i just became triggered at this time and then you can see that your brain is trying to solve the problem by falling into the behavior of worry that ooh, okay worry doesn't actually help me and then you can take a step back and then you can be very logical and be like all right what can i actually do in this moment I can do X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, outside of X, Y, and Z, what can I do now to not get pulled into that behavior of worry? Or that, and that's like, hmm, well, I have to accept. I have to trust. I have to allow. And I have to, I have to do the things I know that are energetically good for me in this downtime that I have so I can invite more abundance into my life. And so that's, that's one thing I always lean into when like these powerful experiences come in that don't feel very good. Okay. What, what can I, what can I do today? I can do this, this, and this, and that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, I need to make sure my vibration's high as fuck. 
So it's eating clean, it's sunbathing, it's the breath work, it's the meditation, it's filling my, my cup really full and then trusting the universe, which is the law, the law of attraction, to, to just do its job, to just do its work. And then from that, abundance starts flowing, opportunities start coming. And that's how it really works. But if you fall into the behavior of worry, where you are already in this space of like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to? So now that's what you're attracting. You're attracting that lower vibration, so to speak. You're not inviting this abundance or the possible new job opportunity or bumping into somebody that, you know, can put you in a really good space over here or over there. And so when you start understanding how energy works and how the universe works, you can start wielding it, so to speak. What a great conversation that we're having here. This is honestly like, it's, it's just going so like it's exactly what I needed. Like, and when I, when I first was thinking about how this conversation was going to go, I was kind of thinking about, um, I don't know, just what would, what would be best to like sum you up as a person, but it's like, this is like exactly everything that I needed to hear because I can just, and that, and that's the flow right there. You know, that's, that's the, that's the, the whole trust and allow thing, like not worry about how this podcast is going to go, but just get on, get on and just start talking. And it just, it just goes, you know, without, like if I was like, I was, I was worrying the whole time before starting this, like just sitting in fear of the unknown, like, mm. Oh, what if, what if I, you know, completely forget what I'm talking about 500 different times? Or what if I say, um, 500, you know, it's like all that stuff. If I can just let all that go, then the flow, the flow can come in and the miracle can happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like also, in my life currently with like my financial situation and stuff, there's been a lot of moving parts. Like I'm no longer working full time doing carpentry like I was before. And I'm just doing little odd jobs here and there to make ends meet and stuff. And it's like, I'm spending my time being present by doing things. Like we're just talking about the things that you've taught me eating well, meditating, breath work, getting out in the sun, working out every single day, like just doing all the things that I need to do in order to stay sane in my own mind. And then the miracles happen. The jobs are falling into my lap. The, you know, just running into people. Like, it's like, if you can just trust, like you always say, trust and allow, it's like, the flow, it just, it happens. And it's not, it's, it's even more than just trusting because you are physically raising your vibration. It's yeah, not like you're, you're just sitting around like, oh, I trust the universe. It's like, well, actually, you know, outside of X, Y, and Z that I did have control over, like, all right, say, say you're a person who got laid off from a job and you're trying to find a new job. Well, you'd be like, well, what do I have control over? I'm like, well, today I can send out six applications to these really great jobs that I would personally like. And that's all I can do today. That's all I can do today. And that's what I really have so far control over at this very moment is setting out these six applications to these six spaces that I would enjoy working. Okay, well, what else can you do in that day? And you really just make it about making sure that you are operating from this highest level, this, this vibration of 
love and awareness. And, and when you, when you do that, that's when the abundance comes in. But if you're spending your whole day worrying outside of those six emails that you sent or applications that you sent, that's a totally different vibration that you're operating from the rest of that time. And if you're like also engaging in like mindless scrolling to deal with the discomfort of just sitting there or feeling guilty for just sitting there, or you know, that's the even thing is like we can feel guilty for sitting in the sun because we think we should be doing something during this slow moment in our life. But really, that's exactly what's needed. What's needed is you going on that walk and being present with, and, and, and making sure your cup is full and getting in the sun and making sure your cup is full and going to Barton and having a swim with friends and making sure your cup is full and vibrating as high as you possibly can so that the, the universe just does its job. It's just it's just the law. And it's really quite beautiful and, and it's hard to do that it really is because it is a, like a, a trust type of thing but the more that you kind of engage in that and you really lean into it it's really beautiful what happens abundance follows in all these wonderful ways opportunities comes through and uh, the synchronicity seem to just um happen right and so yeah like it that's a tough one though not getting pulled into the behavior of worry when shit goes down that's incredibly hard for a lot of people but uh, hopefully with people listening, they can start catching it um, when when shit goes down, when they become triggered, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like presence is the it's conduit, everything. the conduit to um, the universal miracles, mad the magic, the you know, just yeah, it's the key to enlightenment. Abundance, abundance, yeah. Just yeah, it's the key to all of it. And abundance is enlightenment. It's like it's funny. Abundance isn't doesn't mean like you're just like this wealthy person eating the best food all day. Abundance is just being at peace. Yeah. Yeah. Being at right. peace. And, and even when it's hard in life, that's another big lesson. I think a lot of people um, think it's always about being happy and having like the cup always full and having everything being sunshine and rainbows. But that is not that's not reality either. Reality has its ups and downs, its ebbs and, ebbs and flows with stuff, and it has its hard times. And to avoid that or to think that that's not going to happen in this experience is also very naive and, and foolish. Right. Um, you really want to understand that, hey, that, that the hard times gives us perspective. It allows us to see the beauty and other things when we go through these moments. It teaches us. It gives us life's experiences, and it gives us the opportunity to stay open and stay in love as opposed to contracting, getting small, and becoming afraid. Um, yeah, yeah, this human experience is always about uh, the yin and the yang of everything. And so I think that's important too. I think a lot of people get caught up, especially in the spiritual work that they're no longer supposed to um, feel loss or, or, or go through the struggle. And um, that's definitely farthest thing from the truth. We just become really good about being at peace with the discomfort, being at peace when shit goes down. And we're really good about managing it and staying stoic when it happens. Right. Yeah. So I know we've been on here for an hour and 10 minutes and we definitely should wrap it up relatively soon. Um, but I did want to ask kind of for the listener, like when did you become, where did like, where did your spiritual journey begin? Like, when did you go from, um, cause I imagine you, like you, you say you have been, you, you have had a, a pretty strong, um, you have been present for a long time in your life, but like, when did, when did you really start getting into like the work that you do now? And like, 
it was it's what's funny is it's like i've always was doing the work i just wasn't aware that i was doing it so it's it's it was more so when did i become aware right when did i start becoming aware of how i operated so that's really so like i started barely becoming aware at the age of 30 and and just barely so that's when i started becoming aware by the age of 30 and but it was very very minimal and then i became a little bit more aware at age 32 and a little bit more aware by age 35 and and then I became what I would say um, fully aware as far as who I am I, um, what am I, what is this experience, the universe, all of that, you know, not until like 37 years old, you know, like really conceptualize the universe and what it's all about. Um, you know, I'm sure there's still plenty that that still needs to be learned but I, I i understand to a certain extent like how it works so to speak um fully remembering doesn't mean that i don't ever fall asleep in the dream state anymore but there's a part of me a very large part of me that really understands all of this and how it works and that was that was really later on in the game you know that was not until like three four years ago so um, and now it's, it's even now it's like, what can I become more aware of in the way that I interact in this world and what I consume in this world. And that's pretty much what I mostly focus on is conscious consumerism, awareness of, of the way I react to things, um, how I show up, uh, how I feel, you know, when I meditate or versus when I don't meditate. So it's more so like really experiencing things and playing with that, uh, at this time. But I, you know, I lacked awareness like everybody uh, for a long period of time, uh, even during my beginning stages of, of this work, so to speak. It wasn't so much later on that I became really fully aware of who I am and, and started operating from that space um, much more as opposed to the human thinking mind or the ego. You know, I think that's a big part. It's like, I think, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's this unique process that happens is like, we have these glimpses of awakening or remembering of who we actually are, which is consciousness experiencing itself through different levels of awareness. And we have these glimpses, whether it's through a plant medicine ceremony or, you know, just a moment where we're at the beach watching a sunset or when we have our first child or something, you know, we have these glimpses of a, but it's, it's, it's just a taste in a lot of ways. And then we fall kind of back asleep into the dream state. And then we might have another glimpse of another moment and that's how it was for me you know was i was have these glimpses and glimpses and and from that i would explore through thought and through books and through meditation and then eventually it, like i had a full click of like oh i see all of it now i see it and and since then it's like i i mostly am able to stay out of that dream state so to speak and and operate from a more conscious self and really experience things from that space at all times. Um, and, and I can handle uh, this human experience and all of its glory, good and or bad from a beautiful, um, accepting, peaceful place. It doesn't mean it's never hard, but I can also accept that and be at peace with it. All right. When you say dream state, what do you mean by that? It means falling back, into the mind thinking you are the mind and all of its conditions and experiences and programs yep so that's the dream state is like identifying with just the person 
Right. Mm -hmm. And that takes time to not do, right? It's like you can meditate and be like fully enlightened for like an hour and then something can go down. And before you know, it's like you're right back in that dream state, you know, yeah, judging, um, scared, having intrusive thoughts. So it takes time. Like the awakening process is definitely like this up down limbo. It yeah. seems. Yeah. And it's a, life, it's a lifetime journey. You know. It's a lifetime journey. Yeah. And, and the more work you put in, the faster it can go. And, you know, everybody's journey is different based off of their experiences. Some people have really profound, hard experiences in life. And that can take a lot of time to, to work through and heal from. And, um, but the more that you meditate and the more that you remember who you actually are, which is love, which is source, which is consciousness, um, that perspective or that, that, that can really shift and help guide your person to also understanding this, right? Cause the human thinking mind, your person eventually start to see things as consciousness sees it, which is love, which is just is, which is at peace. And that's one thing that I've been working with. When I say I am speaking from the conscious seat, you know, one thing that I've been able to do is really teach my person to fully accept, to fully allow, to fully trust, to be okay with death, to be okay with hard things, to be okay with falling down and, and to not, not create a story around it or identify with it. And he's leveled up in, in intelligence. He's leveled up in consciousness and he is, he is more present, right? I'm training him, so to speak, as consciousness. I hold space and train my person through meditation, through working out, through eating clean. Like he, and he's catching on. He's, he's aware of what he's a part of. He's also aware that he is a part of consciousness in such a beautiful way. And, and, and we get to experience this life together. So it's, um, it's really quite beautiful operating from that space. Yeah, that is beautiful. I've been, when I first, you know, you would first talk about how we are not our person. We're the observer of our person. And, you know, the analogy that you use with your hands where it's like, <laughs> where's my other hand? There it is. It's like, this is your person. This is spirit, right? And then it's like a lot of us are pancakes, pancakes like yeah. this too. And there's level of selves in there too. Identifying. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's, just, level of, there's level of cells. So say this is your person, right? This hand's your person. I know the blurriness is there. It's all good. We can see. So it. this person's your person. And this can even be like the soul. And this can even be, there's another hand back here. That's the spirit. And then there could be another hand back there. That's the, that's the void of the mm -hmm. one. You know, it's it's really interesting, and we can kind of fall into these different selves based off of our level of stillness or meditation or practices. Yep. You know, and and so I think a lot of people right now in this specific time and space, we're still learning to slide into that soul seat, right? And 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 guide our person as opposed to only operating from the person, right? Yeah, yeah I feel like this whole, you know there's so many different names for it, but the great awakening that is happening in, in the world, I feel like is us really starting to understand that we're not our person, mm -hmm. you know, that we are spirit and we are consciousness and that we are technically observing our person and guiding our person. And mm -hmm. that whole concept has helped me tremendously. Like, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful I, I mean, actually. Yeah. 
I'm, yeah, yeah 100%. connecting with our person and guiding them and helping them learn how to manage their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, right? And helping them learn all about meditation and helping them learn how to eat right and helping them learn how to do yoga and helping them learn how to like, yeah, like being that, that guiding force for our person that has maybe didn't have those, uh, those people around us growing up, you know, like I said, like a lot of us grew up with parents that just didn't have the tools. So we can also slide into that higher conscious seat, that soul seat, if you will, or that spirit seat. And we can guide our person. We can, we can help our person understand who it is and what it's a part of and show that it is limitless and, and beautiful and worthy and lovable. And all those things are just stories. All right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. For real. Really good stuff. Um, I wanted to ask, like, because to me, you seem like, like I've told you this before, you seem like somebody that just doesn't have any issues and you seem like someone that's just got, got it so together that, you know, that you're not even human almost, but I know that's <laughs> not true because I've gotten to know you well and yeah, you're just a human, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I killed somebody the other day. <laughs> 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 you struggle no, with murder <laughs> yeah struggle with murdering people um you know the thing is the thing is it's like what i what i've been able to do um as a person and as consciousness i've been able to essentially help my person manage the harder times in a more proper way right so like my my person that i call justin um goes through all the same things that everybody goes through it goes through loss it goes through heartache it goes through death it goes through all the same things the the difference is is that i've taught my person how to manage these harder moments through loving modalities through loving exercises and tools so that i can process them from a good space i've taught my person to accept things i've taught my person to not take things personally i taught my person to alchemize his body right i taught my person to breathe and that's the difference the difference is that where most people um they're stuck in that space quite a bit longer because when they identify with their experiences i I also taught my person not to identify with his experiences to just experience them and to be okay if it's uncomfortable i taught him that as well so i have all the same experiences i just eternalize them process them accept them i'm okay with them um you know just in, in a different way so i think that's the biggest difference you know and because i do that and when i say all those things what i'm really saying is i love my experiences the good and bad right i keep my heart open to all those things where most people shut down i've taught myself to open to expand through all things and and that allows me to um kind of have this i guess persona or um you know what you see in me is like oh or what other people may see in me is like oh he must not have any problems it's like i guess they're right in a way because i don't see bad experiences as problems they're just experiences i don't i don't label them as good or bad and so that's, again like yeah perspective is everything that's huge so that's it's huge. Me a lot yeah perspective is everything and the human mind and the human likes to label things as good or bad. I really got good about teaching my person to not label things as good as bad, good or bad. It just is. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. It doesn't make it bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, again, like, like I can handle a flat tire much differently than somebody else. 
Right. Does it make me like this you know, just super special? <laughs> yeah. Does it make me like this super uh, special yeah, person? Yeah. You know, I can handle a breakup. I, I, you know, I go through the breakup. It's not like I don't care about the breakup. Oh my goodness. I feel all the emotions. I have to cry. I go all through the morning. Mm. I go through the frustration, but what's cool is, is I feel all my emotions appropriately without um, distracting myself or numbing myself or hiding from it or avoiding it. I actually feel them all. And I create a space in my house, in my room, and I feel those emotions. And I go through every single fucking one. And then at the end of it, I tie love to it. And I accept, I allow, and I trust. And then I'm done with it. That's you know, and, Yeah, and that's the difference where I think a lot of people, when there's a breakup, the last thing you want to do is feel those emotions. They, they, they want to run from them. They want to hide them. They actually never process them. And so that stays. That'll stay with you. Right. That'll stay with you in the next relationship, in the next relationship, in the next relationship. And... You know, I think that's why people really have a tough time um, is one, not knowing how to feel and process their emotions in an appropriate amount of time, um, the tools that can kind of release and the perspective shift that can happen on the experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things to learn, I feel like, is how to process and handle some of the really devastating parts of life but yeah yeah the more like if you if you fast forward into you know the the future when like say three months after a breakup or something when things are starting to get a little bit more bearable and you've, you've seen it through you know so many different lenses and you've been able to process the emotions here and there and not always in the healthiest ways but like if you if you fast forward you get to that point where it eventually ends up being for the better and taking you to the next chapter of your life that is usually elevating and like but if you yeah but, but like when you you know when when something comes up something devastating comes up it's like if you just sit in it and you identify so strongly with it and you you let it control you and you you know um just let it completely derail you it's like that's gonna that's a lot of energy that's that's gonna cause you know some issues like it's i don't know what i'm trying to say but like well, it's just it'll create a whole narrative in a story like so say you you know, you're, you're in this great relationship and this person cheats on you. Yeah. You can, you can then take that and create a really powerful story. Like, Oh, I'm unworthy. Like, why would they cheat on me? I must not be any good. Or you can like grow trust issues or jealousy issues from that. Right. As opposed to being like, Oh, let me take a step back and really look at this and like, okay. Like this person cheated on me. I can, I can really kind of like, realize like I, I was I did everything I could like I, I was love I, I showed up in all the ways I realized that this had nothing to do with me and then you know you can see like her actions were unconscious or his actions were unconscious and they're just trying to seek love and validation and it wasn't personal and, and so you can start seeing things from a different space from a loving space right and then so that you can process that experience through a loving way and then when you get to a new relationship, that, that story is not there. That narrative isn't there. 
because it, most people, if they get cheated on or this, that, and the other, they create a story or a narrative about X, Y, and Z. And then when they get in the next relationship, they may unconsciously like not want them to have friends that are guys or girls, you know what I mean? Or they're like, if they don't text them right away, their brain becomes worried. Like they must be cheating on me. Right. It like feeds <laughs> the narrative. So like, these are simple things that cause massive suffering in so many people and then also end up ruining relationships. Right. There's so many relationships that get that end because you have someone who's afraid of being cheated on and they also have the story of unworthiness. And whenever they date somebody and that person doesn't text them back in the first five minutes, they're like, why don't you fucking answer my text message, this, that, the other. And the person's just like, bro, I was talking to my mom over coffee. Like you're fucking nuts. That is you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's not, I'm not doing that anymore. That happens. Yeah. That, well, that happens for a lot of people and it's because we get caught up in the mind. The mind is really wild. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, what's so neat about, again, you have a mind, but you are not the mind. And if there's yeah. anything people can take away from this is, is truly understanding that. So you can start kind of operating outside of it and then maybe, you know, working with it and, and getting it nice and quiet so you can, you can retrain it and help it make better decisions and help you actually experience things through a conscious loving lens as opposed to a fear-based one. I love it. You Good have shit, a man. mind, but you're not your mind. That's the powerful punch of the, of the episode. I love yeah, that. I mean, that's, I'll make that the name. Yeah. It's everything. <laughs> well, hey, bro. Um, I appreciate well, you having me on. You got yeah, another one? Yeah. Um, wait, what'd you say? I said, did you have one more question? Is that what you're going uh, to I just wanted to, um, I just wanted you to talk about Nirvana Nation, um, mm -hmm. the community that is all based on, you know, presence and spirituality mm -hmm. and, and this type of, this type of dialogue, well, yeah. you know? You know, I, I think it's, I think it's really cool kind of stepping into this new space, you know, of understanding who we are. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, there's like this awakening process that's happening globally. Uh, I see it as well. And it's really exciting, but it also it can be very challenging. And, you know, a lot of people are starting to remember or awaken from this dream state, so to speak. And it's tough. It's tough to navigate, especially if you have a strong ego or if you don't really have the support within the community. So for me, um, that's what I do for my work. You know, I mentor people essentially through this shift, this conscious shift and remembering, but also I created a Nirvana nation, which is a bunch of people that are kind of, you know, awakening and wanting to share their experiences and they're able to come and be a part of a community that truly supports them. And, um, they're doing the work, so to speak, they're, they're there, they're present. And that's really powerful. I think, you know, we're in a unique time where there is a lack of community and especially in America. So I really wanted to create something that uh, was just that a powerful, strong, supportive community as we navigate this thing called life. And it's a safe space for people. So yeah, I created Nirvana Nation and uh, it's fucking awesome, you know, and we have a lot of great things in there like virtual breath works, virtual Q and A's, a community chat board, um, discounts and stuff off a lot of the programs that will help you get to this next stage of consciousness. Um, we have really great administrators that are also involved in the community chat board that can answer questions from nutrition to movement, to mentorship, to conscious conversations. Um, yeah, it's a really wonderful place because I don't think we're supposed to do this alone. I don't think we're supposed to be just out there winging it. And so I really did want to create a cool spot, a cool container, um, for people to, to feel okay and feel safe and be vulnerable and authentic and uh, do the work.
so to speak. Yep. Yeah. So be sure to and, check it out. Yeah. It's pretty dope. Yeah. It is an awesome, an awesome place, an awesome movement. Um, I'm a part of it, you know, for the, for the listener and it's, it's impacted me tremendously uh, just to have, you know, connection with other like-minded people who are kind of seeking a higher vibration, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, um, check it out. Yeah. yeah. Just get into breath work. That's the biggest thing is like get into breath work, get into meditation, make it a daily practice, have fun with it. Pay attention to what you're consuming. Don't overwhelm yourself. Like it can be pretty overwhelming if you can like try to do it all at once. Have fun during the process. It can be, it can be fun. It doesn't have to be so grueling. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to fight with your ego entity. You don't have to fight with the shadow self. You can love it. You can be kind to it. It can be exciting. Yeah. Become curious. Curiosity is powerful. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's really big. Like having fun with it. And, mm -hmm. um, something you say all the time is not taking things personally and not identifying with the mind and allowing the good and the bad and, you know, all of the different things and just being okay with the fact that it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And mm -hmm. the reality is just reality. Reality is just reality. We, like, yeah. we weren't ever, nobody told us that, you know, everything was just going to be like, I guess sometimes we feel like this life is so beautiful and so profound and how could it possibly ever go wrong? And it's like, that's just not, that's not the case. It's like, yeah. it's a journey of ups and downs and all kinds of, you know, wild well, human, human experiences. Being really, yeah. The human being really just tries to seek comfort and that can be a slippery slope, you know, comfort is something we should be seeking. Uh, if anything, we should try to get a little bit uncomfortable each and every day. Um, whether it be through training really hard or getting in the cold or, um, you know, something along that line. Um, but yeah, I think we've gotten really normal, normal. There's been some normalization and thinking that life is supposed to be really, really comfortable. And, you know, we are in these perfectly air conditioned homes. We can just throw a sweater on whenever we get cold or do this or that. And, um, you know, we're trying to get the six pack abs by taking a pill as opposed to doing the workout or eating properly. Yeah. Um, we rather order food to our house as opposed to possibly growing our own or at least going and getting it and then coming home and cooking it. So I think it's really good to pay attention to how we've been kind of funneled into this space of comfort. Um, and we can become very addicted to that. I think it's the new um, form of slavery, believe it or not, is comfort. So, um, I think trying to avoid being com comfortable is, is a, is a good way to approach things. And, you know, like it, it's not comfortable getting up out of bed at, you know, four 30, four 45 in the morning. It's not comfortable getting on the assault bike and crushing yourself. It's not comfortable getting in the cold plunge. It's not comfortable squatting a shit ton of weight. You know, it's not comfortable having powerful, important conversations. Right. It's not power. It's not comfortable quitting a job that doesn't serve you and maybe stepping into the unknown. Mm. Yeah. So like get uncomfortable. And be yeah. okay with it. Yeah. I mean, take your time. Don't overdo it. But yeah. Right. Get a point. Yeah. Yeah. Change is, is on the other side of um, growth. Growth. Growth is on the other growth. side of uh, discomfort. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you have to, you have to step out of your comfort zone in order to grow. And that's like for a long time, I would see higher performing people and, 
people that are quote unquote successful or have abundance and seem to have these amazing lives. And I was just like, Oh, well that's great for them. Like, aren't they so fucking lucky to have all those opportunities and that is not it at all. Like it's like those people are putting in the work every fucking day to constantly get uncomfortable, to push themselves beyond their limits to, Mm -hmm. you know, really have serious discipline with all of the daily practices in order to, to grow physically, mentally, and emotionally. Well, that Usain Bolt clip that just came out recently of somebody like, man, like Usain Bolt said he trained for four years years or something or yeah, four years for nine seconds. That's it. I sent that to you. I think it's a, it's an amazing clip and that kind of puts in perspective of things, you know, trains for four years for nine seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, get it, get it, get up there and get it. You know what I mean? Like fucking get it. And if you think it's just going to come and it might, but probably not. Yeah. So speaking of uh, getting uncomfortable, what does your daily, what does your morning routine look like? I want my listeners to just kind of hear a little bit about what you do. I like to wake up. Yeah. I like to wake up early around like four forty-five, five o'clock and get into movement right away. Um, I'll, I'll stretch my feet out, do some nail boarding, um, some feet rolling. And then I get on the assault bike for about 15 minutes. Follow that. I get on the rower for 10 and then follow that. I get on the ski rig for five. And after that, I get into my cold plunge. And after my cold plunge, I get into my breath work and meditation. And that's kind of like my, my go-to morning routine. I send some love after that. And then I kind of get into my workflow, um, you know, for two or three hours. And then after that, I get in my second workout, which is, you know, high intensity here in my home gym or over on it. After that, um, the same thing, get a few more clients and if anything, and then I try to spend the rest of my evening, whether it's going to swim apart and get some sunbathing in, some grounding, spending time with friends uh, at Zilker and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, my, my, my schedule is not my schedule, but my routine is nothing crazy, but it's just. It's just I have a good um, morning time of beingness, and then I also have an afternoon time of beingness, and then I also try to spend a lot of my evening in the beingness presence is what I mean. Um, yeah, and I think, like, again, like, I, I spend most of my day trying to, not trying to, but just being in a higher vibrational state because I understand the way the universe works. So if I, if I know that I get up and I do all these things that truly serve me, I'm only putting myself energetically in a good situation if i were to like sleep in and then get up and then jump on my phone right away and have coffee right away and not move my body and not challenge myself and hurt things or you know and i'm just coming home at night and watching 17 episodes of netflix and ordering low vibrational food and you know being on my phone till 12 o'clock midnight and getting a shitty night's sleep like that's gonna be a tough life yeah so I think, yeah, just fill your days with intelligent things, with conscious things, with presence. And I mean, you can come up with your own type of routine for sure. And just make sure it's full of presence. Yep. It's huge. It, man. Yeah. Presence, presence, more presence, yeah. not Christmas presents, actual presence. Right. <laughs> Sweet, well, dude. I love it. I'm so, yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing, just, I know that my listeners are, going to want to get a hold of you, um, you know, be able to follow you, that type of thing. So where would be the best place or where are the best places to uh, connect with you? My OnlyFans. Oh, Um, 
Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find me on Instagram. That's where usually I'm doing most of my stuff. But, you know, the website, uh, you know, nirvanamindbody.com. And you can come see what we offer as far as services goes. You can see what I offer as a coach. You can come see all about Nirvana Nation. Um, But, yeah, my Instagram, Justin D. Lovato, is a good place to find me. And uh, those are pretty much the two locations that I'm mostly working with. And, you know, that has my email and everything on there as well. So, yeah, IG and uh, the website. And, yeah, you can find me. Totally. Yep, Justin is a great person to follow. Very, very inspiring. Lots of value um and some gnarly gnarly workouts definitely uh, a good place to learn um just about movement and presence and getting out of your comfort zone so yeah right on dude well thank you so much um i'm just super excited that you were the first episode on my podcast i think it's a great way to kick things off so i'm very grateful for you um i'd say that's it All right, man. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. See you. Take care.